Left. Right. This is a cool episode about bad advice that sounds like it's good advice. So advice that is given well-intentioned, but in actuality, it just doesn't shake out. So let me know if you agree with our uh, bad advice. And uh, if there's other bad advice you have, let me know in the comments. I'll see you guys on the other end. Thanks for joining. This is Sip Talk. Grab a drink and enjoy. <laughs> Cheers. 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 Right, we are live. This is Sip Talk. My name is Justin DiGiulio, joined by James the Bosnier Boswell out of Charleston, South Carolina. James, a philosopher, philanthropist, doctor in engineering, bartender, referee, a couple of other things in there. I forgot uh, astronaut. I forgot the astronaut portion. My bad. So today we're talking about bad advice. James, with so many titles and such a impressive CV. Uh, we got some bad advice we are about to give you. Actually, what we're talking about today, more specifically, is good intentioned advice. Or that advice actually... that sounds good when you first hear it. It sounds good, but is actually really bad to follow. And uh, we both have our own lists here. Uh, if you if you notice the updates I've made to our list since last week, when we tried to give this topic uh, a run it's just too many people, too much going on, a little more professional setting. Back in the internet, we are. Um, <clears throat> I've lettered your list and numbered my list. I figure that might make things a little easier for our viewer. And uh, from there, we'll uh, we'll commence. Got to ask you, as always, what are you drinking down there in not-so-sunny South Carolina? Starting off with the bush ice, but the way this day has been going, it's probably going to get replaced with something far stronger. All right, good. I got a little bit left of uh, some cognac, so I'm going to finish this cognac. This is a, uh, a gift from a friend of mine, George Hajnasser. Uh, and for those of you who also want to uh, have your name shouted out on the podcast, just send over a bottle. You'll get a, you'll get a shout out. Um, <clears throat> so speaking of, you know, did I, uh, we had a listener send us a bottle last year. Did I ever share, share with you that bottle? Mm-mm. Did I tell you about it? I don't remember. Okay, well, but that doesn't mean you didn't. That just means I don't remember. I well, the reason I thought maybe I hadn't told you is because I haven't opened it yet, and I was waiting for you to come up, and uh, I figured we could crack this bottle. But um, we'll have to look up who sent it to us, and uh, we'll have to cheers them in the future. So, yeah, we should uh, we should reach out to them, and like for the we should have a cast where we do their topic and we drink their booze <laughs> i think that may not be a bad idea um so to all of our listener thank you for listening and to all of our watcher thank you for watching um on that note i like we, how you didn't use plural <laughs> should we uh should we should we start you want to start with uh your first piece of advice this may be a little redundant for you but this is my first time uh, apparently, uh, you know, engaging in this conversation. Well, at least you're aware of it. <laughs> what do you got here? Uh, we're starting with number A. Number A. If your relationship is failing, getting married or having a kid together will help you both rededicate yourselves to each other. Where? <laughs> you just twitched. <laughs> oh. Where? where I, I feel like maybe you would get this advice from a pastor somewhere <laughs> my where else would you who else would give advice like this and i feel like it's pretty common advice i don't know i've heard it enough times but i think i think it's gen this is actually a bad example for like our first one to start off with because i think a lot of people would be like no that's actually a bad idea i do think that would be recognized as as bad advice but i also feel like there are a lot of women who subconsciously make this decision i don't think it's i think 
I, I, I actually think that men do it too because men men might think like, oh well, she might want to leave me, but like if if I, if I can get her pregnant, then she'll have to stay with me. Well, I suppose if you were dating somebody really hot, that would be that would be a good approach, right? Um, <laughs> but but I think I think the thing is that getting married or especially having a kid actually introduces a lot more stress. So you need to have a solid foundation of a relationship if you're going to invite those two things into your relationship. Um, so bad it, it is ruled that is bad advice all the way across the board. Um, yeah, it's like a kid's not going to fix your marriage and marriage isn't going to fix your relationship. Uh, let's see. Uh, okay, so uh, on to letter one. It's okay to cry. Now, we had a little mixed feelings about this one, but I, uh, I generally don't think crying is that helpful. And especially when it comes to people in leadership positions, I want to be led by somebody who is appearing to be strong and isn't going to fall to their knees when the, and, and, and sob when the times get tough. Now, there may be times in private that I think crying is okay, but I think that we have, we, for the last 20 years or so, we've really been pushing this be soft mentality onto especially our young people. And I don't necessarily think that that is a good direction to be, to be proceeding. Thoughts? I actually largely agree. I, I don't think that like crying needs to be demonized but I don't really think it needs to be celebrated. I think it's one of those ones where like, it just is where like, if you look at, for example, like after the earthquake in Turkey or whatever, where you're seeing people crying in the streets because they lost their entire family. I don't think it's a good idea to go up to me like, well, tough enough. I, you don't need to cry about this. I think that's, I think that's a very good perspective on that, that I had, had not accounted for, but, uh, but again, that, you know, in the face of true sorrow, um, yeah, you can be unhinged and you can be sobbing, but at a certain point, that does need to end. And I guess it's where you draw the line because, like, I think everyone would agree that, like, someone who lost their entire family and house to the earthquake in Turkey, yeah, like, go ahead and cry. That sucks. And so then you say, okay, well, what if your house burned down but your family's okay? Okay, well, what if you totaled your car? Okay, like you can keep on sliding this to yeah. say like various levels of tragedy, and I think everyone's going to have a different line as to okay, well, your house burned down, you can cry about that. Um, you totaled your car. Well, I don't think I don't think we get great value from it. I, I don't think it's bringing much much value to anybody in in any circumstance. If you're well, I think you need to d d differentiate because like if you're doing it in public versus if you're doing it in private because if you're doing it in private it can be a, like a form of catharsis in a way for you to kind of process and move through the feelings that you have yeah and but and, and again that that public private line is also movable in the sense that you know if the news cameras uh you know the media is present in your town that's that's buried in rubble that is your public that is your private space as, as well as yeah space. And, and so yeah like the line moves i think like the the line would be probably farther along the magnitude of tragedy as to um for public crying where like yeah you you lost your entire family like there's no line it's just yeah it's okay to cry let, let, but let like me, i got i got a good one for you watching the super bowl there was two crying there's two two points i saw crying one was in the beginning of the Super Bowl national anthem, the tear running down the cheek. And and that to me, I was like, all right, man, toughen up. Like, I get it. Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever had this where you feel a surge of emotion um, and it, it may com compel you to almost kind of quiver a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's what I think they were feeling. Now, at the end of the Super Bowl, the team, and there was only, there was only a couple of them that I saw uh, watching watching the TV, but guys that were just sobbing, sitting on the bench, sobbing. And uh, I, I I wish I could have caught some names and some jerseys. Uh, I actually think that's okay because I, think about it like this. I think I think you're a professional athlete, 
And just like if you're an attorney and you lose the case, you don't get to cry. As big of a case, it may be a once in a lifetime case. I don't think you should be in the courtroom crying. You're you're a big boy. You lost the game. Go home. If you want to cry, cry there. I but, actually don't think that's a fair comparison. Attorney versus professional athlete. Uh, yeah, and here's why: is like if you're an attorney, like when you take a case, like you're going to know whether or not you win the. Like you're going to know pretty well how likely it is you're going to win the case before you ever get into court because you you've done the discovery you've talked to the witnesses you've talked to all the parties that are involved and and your job as an attorney is to give your client the best possible chance to win your job is not to win because there are some times where your only job is to provide adequate representation and like adequate representation might just mean that like you get a fair sentence or that the, your civil liability, like if you're getting sued and you're defending a company or something and like they're suing you for a hundred million dollars, like you probably are going to owe something and your job as the attorney for that business to make sure that they pay a fair Again, amount. I'm not, I'm not talking about trials. I'm talking trial of a lifetime. You're representing OJ and you lose. You don't, you don't get to cry in the courtroom. Okay. OJ. I, I, I just, I still look at it as like you're, the goal of being attorney is not necessarily purely winning the case. And so the other thing is you, you as an attorney, but, you the, but if you knew, but in in this scenario that you're proposing, if that was the, the, the foreground of, of whatever you're getting into, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be crying. Okay. Now in my, in my other side of it, you get the purple Lamborghini uh, it's a trial of a lifetime. It's neck and neck. You, you think you, you're going to win or, you know, your client's going to win and you lose. Uh, and again, it's not exactly like football, but I'm talking about at the professional level, these once in a lifetime situations, which for most most players in the NFL is a once in a lifetime. You know, I understand being very sad, but I, I don't want to see a 280 pound football player full pads sobbing it to me i just think that you know what i I would compare this with like the olympics or like most professional sports are like this where like to get to the super bowl some players never get there some players might only get there once you can look like dan marino got to one super bowl lost it and then never got back and so for any anybody that's in the nfl they have spent their entire life working to build their skills and physique so that they can compete in the highest league of, for football. And so to get to the top of the top league and then like your entire life has been building to this three or four hour event and you lose. Like I, I can understand it. I will, I will, I will give you, you mentioned the Olympics. Now, if you're an ice skater and you cry, okay, I get it. If you're a 280-pound football player, full pads, you represent toughness. So, and that's so- where I don't think it's fair because why should we hold a a defensive lineman for the Eagles to a different standard than a figure skater? Who both of these people have spent 100% of their life honing their craft to be good at one thing and they got their chance to show that they were the best in the world and they failed well well, one of them just spent uh 90 on field minutes getting tackled and beating people up the the other one did a, a swan dance on the ice so so i i think one represents toughness and you know but again we have it sounds like we have differing opinions on that on that I just don't think we should be judging these people because very few people are going to be in a scenario that is that high stakes that has had so much buildup. Like their entire lives have been building to this one moment. I, I hear you. And they didn't we're, achieve we're, it. We're circling around. I'll, I'll ask anybody who's listening live um, if you think it's okay for professional athletes to cry. And we'll move on to the next one. That one's on you. Um, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Was, was this on my list as well? I don't know. <laughs> I, I think it. I, think it might I wouldn't be surprised if it were. Um, 
I and why is this bad advice? Because depending on what you actually love to do, there may not be a market for that. <laughs> and like, I'm not telling people to not do what they love, but depending on what you love, you might not be able to support yourself doing what you love. Now, the counter argument to that would be, well, find, you know, an interest that you have and then monetize that. But, but not everything's, that's just not possible. And that's where I'm going with this. Two factors. Not everything can be monetized. And two, by monetizing something, you may suck the fun out of it. And Um, then become a slave to it. So this is something that I didn't understand at first, (laughs) but like when I, when I rep, when I started refereeing soccer and, like I liked refereeing soccer and sure like the money was nice but when I started refereeing soccer like I was making like 8 10 12 dollars a game and like I've done some college soccer games where I've made 350 dollars for a game so like when I first started out I was doing it cuz I enjoyed it and like the money was like a nice little bonus and I remember this is probably in like the late 90s they were they were talking to I think it was like the early days of the X games and it was a skateboarder and they were talking about, like, why do you guys care about how much you get paid? You love skateboarding, right? And they basically said, when you're coming up and you're just in the park with your friends trying new tricks and stuff, sure. But when it's the only way you can make money because you've made it your job, do you enjoy skateboarding? Yes. But since you don't have any other way to make money, now you have to care about how much you get paid. Yeah, and you become a slave to it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so with refereeing, like I stopped doing games that don't pay well because, like, at one point it was my profession, and I was like, I need to. I, the games need to pay enough, otherwise I won't work them. <clears throat> yeah, I and and it loses its fun. Uh, let's move on to letter two. Cautious driving is safer driving. No. <laughs> I think uh, it, it, it makes sense on its front because, like, if everyone's cautious, then like there, there just won't be any accidents. Uh, also, like letting people go, you you kind of being the passive driver and letting others go when in actuality you may have the right away. Um, yeah, I, I see this sometimes where like if somebody I, I've seen people stop when they like they're planning on going straight on a two lane road, they're planning on going straight, and the and like there's a whole bunch of traffic, so like there's a car that's trying to turn left. And, you know, they're holding up traffic behind them, but they can't turn left because there's a bunch of oncoming traffic. And I've seen people stop to let this person go left now holding up the other side of the road or like another one is like, so what's the most dangerous, normal course of driving thing that you can do? And the answer is going through an intersection, right? Mm -hmm. So and I see this in Charleston all the time and it drives me nuts. You're coming up to an intersection. The light is green. I and like you're doing the speed limit. There's and like the spacing of the cars is all normal. And I'll see people as they approach the intersection to a green light, ride the brake, slow down through the intersection. It's and and that's the aspect of being a cautious driver is hitting that brake. When when you tap the brake, you're signaling to the people behind you that you're slowing down, mm-hmm. and then people have to account for that. So people on the highway who tap the brake, very very dangerous because you just create this chain of events, especially if not everybody's paying attention, they may hit their brakes a little harder than you because they're expecting you to slow down. Another thing about braking I notice is that very cautious drivers tend to slow down when they change lanes. And that is a terrible tactic if it is the only tactic you use. You want to be matching the speed of the traffic in the lane you're moving to. If you just instinctively hit the brake because you're taking your eyes off the road and looking over your shoulder, you uh, you know, you're in for pain, man. And and, and, well, and the, the cascade effect effect of braking is really important because, like, on the highway, if I'm driving driving and I see brake lights in front of me, I'm immediately thinking that there's something happening that I need to be prepared to slow down for very quickly, and I mm-hmm. might hit my brakes in response because I'm thinking that maybe something like I might need to come to a stop from seventy. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Come to zero. Right. <laughs> and if. So, like, if you are just slowing down because, like, you want to give a little bit more space to the car in front of you or something, like, you can just lift off the brake and you'll slow down. And that doesn't cause the people behind you to respond to you in the same way. 
And yeah. but like if you have if and now if I hit my brake, the cars behind me see my brake lights, and now mm-hmm. it's just it's it's a cascade effect back, and somebody might panic, and then you've got a problem. Yeah. And the last thing, and I've told you this before, one of my pet peeves are people who drive in the rain with their hazard lights on. Oh, Charleston is guilty of that <laughs> one too. They drive extra slow with their hazard lights on. And it's one thing if you if you're having an issue, you can't see out of your windshield, you have to drive slow. I'll buy that. But usually I just find people being overly cautious. Well, even if you have to have if you have to drive slow, don't put your hazards on because that's visually distracting to everybody. And they don't and, and because you got the hazards on, like they have no idea if you're gonna change lanes or what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And I would say, like, if it's bad enough that you feel like you need to drive with your hazards on, pull over. Yeah, exactly. Just, just that, stop. Just stop. All right, let's hit let's hit the next one here on your list. You shouldn't care about what other people think of you. Oh, this is on, on my list also, I think. Um, I think, yeah, you, you need to care what other people think about you if you want to make progress in life. I think about it like this. I had a feeling you, you had a different perspective, but I'll elaborate. But go ahead. Have you ever been to a card shop or a comic book store? <laughs> a matter of fact, I have not in over a decade, probably. So probably two, two or three decades. So I've been in many different card shops, and in most of them, if you go into the bathroom, you will see a sign on the bathroom that says something to the effect of hygiene for all att- for all attendance at such and such game shop is expected. Like. If you need access to hygiene products, please contact like one of our employees and we'll be happy to provide them to you. You don't see those signs anywhere else. You don't see those in a restaurant. You don't see it's a comic book or card shop. Right. Okay. And so it's because and I don't know why like like nerdy hobbies tend to attract people that might not have good hygiene. I, I don't know why that is. But if you don't care or pay attention to what other people think about you, you might be the reason why those signs in card shops exist. Well, I don't. I don't think the sign would necessarily be something to deter you, but it would be that you just happen to be very off-putting if your hygiene is very poor. Um, but I, I think I think caring about what other people think of you to a degree. Because you know, I in the same breath will tell you I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me, but I but I also do care quite a bit. It really depends well, on the person, but generally you have to bring yourself to a certain level to uh here here's a here's a saying I like that I think illustrates this point pretty well. If you go through your day and and you run into one person who's an asshole, that person's an asshole. If you go through your day and you run, and every person that you run into is an asshole. You're the asshole. <laughs> uh, I've employed people like this, uh, so, but but yeah, I think you have to be aware of how others perceive you, and if you want to if you want to create friendships and build relationships and get somewhere in life, this is a really easy place to start. Is just kind of being aware of. And sometimes you might need to ask people some uncomfortable questions and, and, and be ready for some uncomfortable answers. But because sometimes people will be polite and not tell you that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing. And you can just say, like, and like, you can care too much about what other people think about you. That's certainly a problem. But if you don't care at all what other people think about you, then you're very likely to go through the world just being off putting and unpleasant. And people are just too nice to tell you. Yeah, but it's going to be a rough ride through that world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, Unless you're independently wealthy. Let's hit letter three. You don't need to sleep six to seven to eight or X number of hours. You'll sleep when you're dead. Uh, I hate that advice. Now, now I know James is a guy who likes taking naps, and I have a lot of respect for that. And I, I wish I had a schedule which afforded me a little nap here and there when I felt like I needed it. I do not operate very well on a low amount of sleep. I can do autopilot things very well, but when it comes to anything that takes any creative or ability or deep thought, 
I am not, I have no capabilities when I have not slept well. I'm jealous of the people that don't need sleep, but some people don't need it. And, and, and those people telling you sleep when you're dead, um, you know, they just have to understand that not everybody is like that. And if you are not, I think people should play around with it from time to time. And, you know, and, you know, from time to time, wake up extra early or go to sleep a little later and push it, but not on a regular basis and, and not to succumb to that. You need to learn what the right amount of sleep for you is. Yeah, and everyone's going to have different biological needs when it comes to sleep. So one person's six hours might be another person's eight hours. And for me, like my ideal is probably like in a 24 hour cycle, I'm probably more around nine. I'm I'm between six and seven solid hours, but I don't I don't sleep very solidly for for whatever reason. Um, so, you know, so I, I mean, if I get eight good hours of sleep, that's that's fine. But very often, like there's there's a little bit of a tax for my low quality of sleep that I got to pay back sometime. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and but that's the other side of the coin is the quality of sleep also matters big time. So you need to be getting good quality sleep. Yeah. Uh, let's you want to move on to the next one here. Live every day like it may be your last uh, so that's a that's a great recipe to not have any savings. Uh, yeah, or or, or it, it can become a self fulfilling prophecy because like I wonder how fast my motorcycle can go. Well, I'm dying tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. You know, and, and there's an element of that that that's fun, and 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 you know, you need to you need to splurge from time to time and eat the piece of cake from time to time. But, you know, in my experience, there's always cake. Well, there's al- when, there's when, always places to spend that money on. There's when, al- there's we, always- when we brought this one up last week, one of your agents is like, I already do that. Like I live every day. Like it might be my last. And he described his daily routine of like waking up and praying and this stuff. And I let him go through. And then I said, okay, if I told you that in 24 hours time, you are going to be dead. Are you coming into the office tomorrow? and selling apartments. And he says, hell no. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're not living every day like it is your last. Um, all right. Let's let's move on here. Let's see. Uh, patience over time will get you where you want to be. And, you know, I have this conversation with agents oftentimes, uh, especially the ones who aren't finding success, who are like, right now I'm just being patient. And I said, yeah, that's fine, but you're not putting in the work. If I just went to the gym every day for an hour, but didn't exercise and kept telling myself I needed to be patient and be consistent, and then I would get in shape, it doesn't work like that. So the patience over time is a great idea, but only if you're putting in the work and you know, and the amount of work that you're putting in is also subjective. So you need to make sure that you're actually putting in the real good work. Being there only counts for so much. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It's like, you think about like any job or whatever, like a lot of the time just showing up gets you some points, but like eventually you've got to start doing shit. I, uh, I once threw an agent in the early days uh, of our office. I threw him out of the office. Uh, he was arguing about how, you know, he, it was everybody else's fault that he wasn't successful. I don't know. I don't remember what the issue was, but uh, at one point in the conversation, he goes, look, I, I come here every day or something like that. And I was like, dude, you, you're like smoking weed in the bathroom. What do you mean you're coming here every day? Get the fuck out of here. Like that's, that's not, that doesn't cut it. You showing up and not doing the work. Everybody else you see also comes here every day, man. That's, yeah. that's the prerequisite to, to having this job. Yeah, yeah. I think it's confusing patience for, for like, because being impatient and pestering or just not letting things materialize can be a problem, but like that's implying that you've done the work and then you're waiting for the work to take effect. So if you're going to the gym for an hour every single day and you're actually lifting the weights and you're running and stuff, like after a week, you're probably not going to see much results. So you do have to be patient. But patience alone doesn't, <laughs> it's patience yeah. plus work. Uh, all right. Hit the next one here. Um, I'm going to skip the, some of these joke ones. Um, so this one's actually very much along the lines of what we just talked about in terms of patience. You'll find somebody when you're not looking, and this is in regards to dating. 
So like you'll find the person you're meant to be with when you're least expecting it or when you're not looking for them. Um, okay. I'm, I, I, this is your, this is your, uh, line item here. So I'll let you give your explanation, but I have, I have one in mind also. Go ahead. Well, I think it's that if you are, if you're looking too hard or you're trying too hard that you might come off as unattractive and desperate because you're just trying to find somebody. And so the idea behind this is like, if you just relax and be yourself, you'll naturally be more attractive to people and you'll probably find somebody more easily because you're not pushing the issue. And that's, well, there's elements of truth to it. Like, well, if you're, yeah, if you're trying too hard, you're, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. But uh, I think what your advice means to say is don't try and it will happen. And I think the real advice is you need to be somewhere in the middle. Right. Because like, if I were single right now and I were trying to find a girl, and if you were to analyze my behaviors right now and say, like, well, like, you'll, you'll find someone when you're not looking. But a typical week for me is I work from home. <laughs> and, like, on Wednesday nights, I play in a pool league at a bar. And I'll tell you something about pool leagues. Very... <laughs> Very few attractive women are involved with pool leagues. Pool leagues are great. I, I, I like it. And I like the people that I play with. But if I were to advise people as to like where you can pick up chicks, that would not make my top 10. It would not be and that so on Saturdays, I will sometimes go to the game shop and play some cards. And very much like the pool league, I like the people that I play cards with. But the likelihood of encountering an attractive girl in this card shop is actually lower than in the pool league <laughs> and so uh, if you were to say like how are you you, you're, you're you find someone you're not looking like attractive dude in, in the in the card shop is probably it, like on the converse side i think about like and this is something that just gets me is like the guys that go to yoga classes to try and pick up chicks and i i look at it as like you didn't pick up chicks you just went to where chicks are yeah well yeah generally uh, I don't want to. I don't want to go into that. That's that's terrible. Um, but it's like you didn't attract women. You just went to where women are. Um. Yeah. Uh, so we... like, yeah, you gotta you gotta split the difference here. It's like you have to put yourself in scenarios where you're likely to be able to meet the kinds of people that you want to meet, and like you don't need to necessarily be actively looking but you do do need to be taking active steps to put yourself out there in one way or another yeah um all right next i'm going to give you uh letters 5 and 6 together history history repeats itself and everything works in cycles so i think these two kind of go hand in hand here but history repeats itself i don't think is a saying that can be applied to all of history in, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I know we kind of sit here on the precipice of World War III, so maybe a bad place to, to say that, but I promise you that uh, a potential World War III will not look anything like World War II. So. Well, I think you can look at... It, it all depends on how loose of a definition you're using for the word repeat. Well, and, 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 and that's, that's why this is kind of a loaded piece of advice to follow because, because it's not good advice. Well, everything operates in cycles. I feel like that's a little bit too broad, but I actually agree with the general premise is that if you look at practically anything, it actually does follow cycles. Um. I don't know. Like I'm I... sure there are exceptions to this, but if you look at anything economic, if you look at practically anything social, well, if you're in terms of trends, chart, if you're measuring it on a chart that goes up and down. Yes, it will go up and it, it will come back down. Right. That's what it means. That's what yeah. cycles but mean. Not every not everything can be measured by on, on cycles. Right? Like what? Population. Uh, Population would go in cycles because what you would do is you you just have to do a derivative. So, like, if you look at the human population, it probably is going to have a general trend up. But if you were to do a derivative of that, you would probably be able to show that there's cyclical there's cyclical variations in terms okay, of. I'll give you I'll give you a, a, another one that 
and, and we'll move on to the next one here. Horse ownership uh, per uh, per uh, Manhattan. Okay. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, there's no cycle there. All right. It just, so not everything is a cycle. Sure. No, but like if you, you and, have and, to pick extremely specific things. I, I'm saying deploy the advice where, where, where it works, but it's not universal advice. And that's why it's bad advice because it's, it's often, I hear people use it in places where I go, well, that's history not going, is not going to repeat itself there. And, or there, there's no cycle there. It's just things change. Yeah. But I feel like you have to get to like really, really specific stuff to find counterexamples to these ones where like, you could say like ridership on steamboats. Yeah. Like that's not really a cycle. Like hey, how about, no one... how about obesity in the United States? Um, I bet that would probably be similar to, I, I would, I would bet that you could find cycles with that. Uh, I'll bet you they would be upward, upward <laughs> and tightening cycles. Yeah. But again, if you take derivatives and, and you look at variations of like it, it's acceleration and deceleration. Okay. But that, but again, now we're getting more specific, you know, so, uh, and I was being more broad. So, all right, let's, let's move on to, uh. You've got uh, buy the best there is available. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, go ahead. Well, I mean, it, on its face, it sounds good. Is like if you if you're going to buy something, buy the best of it because you're going to be using this thing. So why not buy the best, right? Mm-hmm. And think that's bad advice because, like, especially if you're just starting a hobby and like pretty much any hobby is going to have kind of a curve of expense to it where like getting into it might be relatively cheap. And then like the super high end things for whatever hobby that is are going to be really expensive. And so if you're just getting into it, I'll give you an example. You've uh, recently, recently become a motorcyclist. Mm -hmm. You go out and buy the 2022 1200 CC $30,000 motorcycle. Nope. Uh, if you could have afforded a uh, $30,000 motorcycle, 1,200 cc's, 2022, would you have bought it? Nope. Okay, and why not? Because I was just starting out with it. But and if- for one, that would probably be buying way more bike than I would reasonably be able to handle. Yeah. And two, like... I don't know if I really like this or not. So why would I commit to a $30,000 purchase when it's not something that I'm certain about? Yeah. Like the example I give is cycling. Like if you want to get into cycling as a hobby for fitness or whatever, like you can easily spend more than $10,000 on a bike. But if someone were to come to me and say, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into cycling, which what bike should I buy? I would never recommend them buying a $10,000 bike. I would say start with this five hundred or a thousand dollar bike. It's going to do a pretty good job for you. And after a year or two, if you're still doing it and you still really like it, then you can look at going to like a five or six thousand dollar bike. Because as you go up the price scale, the next dollar return for performance goes down and down and down. Like the bike that I have right now cost me seven thousand dollars, and there's virtually no difference, huh? This is your first bike? Mm-mm. My oh, first bike I spent $50 on. Oh, how many? And how many bikes did you have before? Uh, of cycles? Yeah. Um, let's see. One, two, three, four. And you spent 50 on the Five, first? six. All right, yeah, so point proven. <laughs> You've worked your way up right. as an avid uh, avid. Uh, yeah, I've had six bikes, and it was like $50, $200, $700, Fifteen hundred, fifteen hundred, seven thousand. Yeah, well, I mean, that was a big jump, but um, all right. Can we can we move on here? I think I think we've proven our point. Yeah. All right. Next one I got here is no pain, no gain. That it needs to be painful for you to be getting better at it, and uh, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Sometimes it's true. Sometimes it is true. And it also depends on where you want to get, you know, running on a regular basis at a, a non pain. I mean, if you're completely out of shape, there's good chance it's going to, it's going to hurt. But, um, you know, if you just get out there and do it every day at a light enough pace, you'll still get better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, if you want, now, if you hit a wall, you might have to step it up a little bit. Um, but, 
you know, studying, for example, you know, we're learning now there, there are studies about studying that say small incremental studying with, with many breaks uh, actually allows you to retain more information than sitting and cramming in this painful memorization session. Yeah. And I think it's also what type of pain, because like if I go out for a run, like, and I'm in really bad shape right now. So like it's painful in a way that like my lungs are burning and my legs are burning and I'm tired. But there's also like, and you know this from a couple years ago when you were running and like your arch collapsed or something. And so like, it's the type of pain that you're getting. So like, if you've got pain that indicates an injury or the potential for an injury, well, that means some pain, much less gain. <laughs> exactly, which was my case when my, my foot stopped working. Um, yeah. And then and then in, in contrast, here is letter eight. Uh, if it hurts, then it's bad for you. And in some cases, pain can be good for you, I think, which is which is what you're getting at. And that and that goes to the exercise aspect that, uh, you know, in one case, you might be hurting yourself physically and your body might be deteriorating or some aspects of pain where you are pushing yourself to the limit are needed for you to get better. Uh, and you see my note here about pain medication that what got us into the opioid epidemic was the that you know doctors basically were, were prescribing medication so that their patients didn't have to feel any pain at all and you know that spiraled out of control whereas we you know every doctor's office had to have the 10 levels of, of pain or whatever it is with the different sad faces you've seen this before at the doctor's office Mm-hmm. It's like different faces and yeah, like yeah, yeah. and is complete agony. Um, and and basically doctors were not doctors would be liable for whatever if if a patient walked out over a, a six or a seven or something like that. Where there are many instances where you know somebody might just need to live at a six or seven off of opioids briefly and then and then get better. Uh actually, probably a better example of that is uh um, like heroin withdrawals and things like that, that they were prescribing lots of drugs because these people were going through uh, withdrawal symptoms. And I think at the time they were prescribing other opioids, which well, is I not mean, that's a, I mean, That cures the problem. Like you're going through withdrawals. Well, here's the drug. Now you're not going, not going through withdrawals anymore. <laughs> exactly. yeah. um, so, um, all right. What, uh, uh Oh, and the, the last thing that I had to note on here is that uh, uh, pain relievers and, and opioids are relatively new. Uh, I think it was mid, nope. mid, well, I mean, in, in modern medical use where it's being prescribed left and right. No. I will, I will I'll take our argument off air, but. Um, Morphine was used in the Civil War. Sure, but it wasn't used uh, as commonly throughout hospitals and and the rest. I, you know why it wasn't? Let, wh- why not? Because it was harder to make, like to obtain. Oh, exactly. That's my point. Is we, we didn't have it wasn't commonly used. So, for like, but reason, once it became easier to obtain, like you could get like if you look at like the early 1900s pharmaceuticals or whatever, you could like get over the counter cough syrup, which is just like cocaine and heroin, like <laughs> in like in a solution. Like they had kids like. They had kids' medications that were just like straight up heroin. Like, no wonder the kid feels good. But, but my point is, for the greater uh, amount of uh, the greater history of humanity, uh, people have had some level of pain that they've they've had to deal with. Uh, yeah, the, the idea that you would greater have, amount of humanity, we've tried to find like <laughs> plants that will make it go away. We have, but the idea that you should live completely pain free, I think, is. Uh, is a newer idea and that you deserve to live completely pain-free as well. Yeah. I think the exception would be like for people that have conditions that cause like chronic severe pain, I think that's different than like I sprained my ankle and the next week's going to suck. Well, I mean, people don't want to exercise you know, and they complain because it hurts. Right. But what I'm talking about is like people that have genuine conditions that like make living pretty agony free, like foot filled. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, and I think those the, those disorders really do exist, and for the people that suffer from them, it's terrible. 
All right, let's hit. Let's hit. Uh, what do you got here? Pick one of the ones um, on my list. I, I, we got. We're not going to be able to hit them all. So, like, pick something why that you do, like. Uh, why don't you do number K? Number K. Yeah. Ignore the bully, and they'll leave you alone. Is that is that on my list also, or is that is that? Oh yeah, that's number. That's that's letter nineteen on my list. Oh okay. Uh, you ever been bullied before? Yeah, I, I I don't know anybody that hasn't. You know I. I don't think I had really been bullied, but like if when I think back about it, I was like, there were, I think there were some very bullying people. I didn't let them get me, get to me too, too much, but I don't necessarily think from, from the perspective of anybody who's really been bullied that ignoring the bully ever solved the problem. The bully no, and I wouldn't say out. that my treatment was severe because like I, I've heard stories from people where I'm like, you had it way worse than I did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but like the idea is bullies crave attention. So if you ignore them, the if you ignore them, you deprive them of the attention, and they'll stop. That no, that just that's not how it works. And, and oftentimes, it's not your attention they're seeking; it's the attention of others that they are using you as a prop to obtain. Yeah. So you ignoring them isn't addressing anything. Uh, there are other ways to deal with bullies, probably more psychological um, and well, circumstantial. I I think the easiest first step when you're being bullied is to try and get someone to help you. And if you like, for example, if you're in school or your kids in school and being bullied, talk to the people in administration or the teachers and say, Hey, here's a problem that you need to help address. Uh, that's fine. Uh, especially as a parent, but I would argue that the, the person being bullied must first and very early on in the bully bully relationship attempt to stand up for themselves. That's really difficult. If it's, if, if the person who's being bullied is relatively small in stature and the bully is much bigger than them. And, and, and fine. That's really, really hard to ask. Uh, but I still think that they owe it to themselves to try to stand up for themselves first. And if that doesn't work, I, I just think you should put in the effort on your own before you go and ask for help. In, in, I don't, in I don't think that that's realistic in, in every case. Well, I would like to or I'd like to hear the specifics of the case where somebody doesn't think it's 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 possible and and then still advise them probably still so to try it. And again, it may not work, but. You know, I want. But the problem is, if it doesn't work, it could make their their perceived situation much worse. But if it does work, it will really be empowering for that kid. Or yeah, but you, they they can find ways of empowering themselves without the risk that your approach. Well, having entails. your parents, having your parents call their parents, I don't think should be the. I don't. The, I, that's not what I'm recommending. I'm not I, like I'm saying that, like you because. The bully's parents might not be any help at all. The bully's parents might be the reason why it's a bully in the first place. You go to somebody who's in a position of authority that can help resolve the situation. I, I, but I, I still drive it back to I think it's circumstantial and, and, and really depends on on the context. Um, all right, next. But, but I think we I think we definitely agree that ignoring the bully is not a solution. Um. Uh, I got uh, letter 10 here, which is similar, somewhere along the lines of one that you mentioned already, but just be yourself. Um, I, I mean, don't... That's, we've already kind of talked about that one, yeah. though, I, and, and... which is don't care about what other people think of you. That's exactly. that's another way of saying just be yourself. My my, my but just be yourself allows me to uh, to add you want to be your best self. And, and, you know, that may, that may take a little bit work. It may take getting in the shower, getting a haircut, trimming your nails type of thing. Me saying this is me and just leaving the house. I don't think is a, is a great recipe here. Uh, what do you got next here? Oh, no, you don't burn your bridges. Um, don't burn your bridges. What, what, what number is that? Uh, that is number Q. Number Q. Uh, yeah, <sighs> I try very hard not to burn bridges. I think but, in general, it's a good idea not to, but there are certain circumstances where you should. There are certain circumstances where you just need things to be completely cut off. 
or or you have a moral obligation. Like if you're working for a company that you know is doing illegal stuff, then by reporting that company for whatever illegal things they're doing, that's burning some bridges, but it's the right thing to do. So whistleblowing. That's yeah. From yeah, it would be, it would be, my, so you're saying whistleblowing is okay. I, I, again, I need some context to whatever that particular situation is, but I would also argue that um, there are some connections that you just don't want to have. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, I, I mentioned this uh, last week uh, saying yes. So this is uh, letter 13 saying yes to any time ever a girl asks you if she should cut her hair. So this is advice, uh, man to man here. If a girl, whether it's your girlfriend, your sister, your friend who's a girl asks you if they should cut their hair, never say yes, because every girl who gets their hair cut cries afterwards. And um, if you say, uh, yes, you should get your hair cut, you will always be the bad guy. Even if it doesn't look bad, there's still some emotional connection that gets trimmed off as those as those dead ends get trimmed off. James? Sorry. Women cry after they get their hair cut? So, one, I knew you were typing the entire time I was giving the explanation. Two, I know you might not have as much experience with uh, girls getting their hair cut. But I'm telling you, I will repeat this for you who was typing while I was talking to the camera here and to viewer. Um, anytime a girl gets a haircut, it's very traumatic. And if they ask you if, if she should get her haircut, what you should say is, well, it's really up to you. <laughs> well, it. yeah. I, I mean, like that's the way you are. It, it feels to me like if a girl's asking, should I get my haircut? That's just a different version of do I look fat in this dress? It's, it's not, though, because she can change the dress and isn't going to have an emotional breakdown. If she gets two inches lopped off the end of her hair, she is going to feel like she was amputated at the knees. And I don't know why that is. I think it's a major overreaction, but all women I, 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 I What kind of women have you been dating? Because I've never seen, like, I, I've never dated a chick that, like, came back from a haircut and was just distraught. <laughs> Um, all right, let's, uh, let's move on here. Uh, they're distraught for other reasons. What, what, what do you have? Because they're dating you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, uh, 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 what do you got next? The customer is always right. Oh man, oh man. The customer most of the time is not right. And they don't know the product as well as you do. You know where the, the phrase customer is always right comes from? No. It's not actually about customer service or anything else. It's actually a way of determining like what products you should stock. So let's say you sell cars and you've got a model of car and you've got red, white, and black cars. And the red car sells in three days average, the white car in six days, and the black car in 10 days. So that's telling you that the customers like the red car a lot more, right? Mm -hmm. So on your next order, you should order a lot more red cars because they sell faster. So the customer is always right. Is like read the patterns of your customers to figure out what you should be selling because the customer is always right about what they want. My So my take on that was that usually – the lower level floor employees are the ones dealing with the customers. They are customer facing. What happens is managers get involved. So this is obviously slightly different, but what happens is managers get involved. And I think you're right about the jackets of, of that quote. Don't get me wrong. But what happens is the, the floor staff, um, those are the ones that are customer facing. What happens is the managers get involved and the managers tell the employees that the customers are always right because managers believe that the customer is their priority. When in actuality, from a management role, your priority are your staff. And from the, from the floor staff's perspective, the client should be their priority. The problem is, is usually it just comes down to communication skills. 
and that's where everything falls apart. Yeah, because people take the customer's always right is basically the customer gets to dictate the terms of like the retail engagement or whatever, and that's just wrong. It's really like if you've got your floor staff and your floor staff is constantly, if you're running a shoe store and the floor staff is constantly asking about the new Nike shoes that are coming out or whatever, your floor staff can tell you, hey, everybody's asking about this new Nike shoe. We should order it. That's the customer being right. And, and, uh, I want to hit these quotes real quick that just came through on YouTube from Curtis. Uh, interesting take. Once everybody wants a red car, it no longer becomes special. See, everything operates in cycles. <laughs> uh, and then Sasha says, uh, women think bangs are going to fix all of their problems in life. Yeah. And Sasha, uh, I'm sure you can attest that bangs do not fix all of your problems in life. Instead, they make you feel like your life is over. Uh, on that note, let's. They can help obscure your vision of your problems in life. Let's. Uh, uh, let me. Let me hit the next one here. Uh, right. Oh, that's on my list too. Uh, there are no stupid questions. <laughs> I think we can agree. I think we can. Oh, agree. There are a lot of stupid questions. <laughs> There are no stupid questions, but there are a lot of inquisitive idiots. Um, but no, there are some stupid questions. I get I, them all the time. I I think the most frustrating questions for me are the ones that I have to Google the answer for. And the person asking the question should have just Googled the answer. Yeah, there are times where in my job, we'll get a question from somebody and we'll answer it. And then sometimes in the same email chain, or sometimes a week or two later, they'll ask the exact same question and be like, did you read what we wrote? Like, we answered your question, like, not 10 minutes ago. You just uh, need to read it. Uh, <laughs> um, so, like, asking a dumb question, yes, it's very possible to do if you didn't do the work to process what, the information there, that there you had are, just received. There are many reasons why a question could be dumb. All right. We got three minutes left. What's next? Don't sweat the small stuff. Mm, give me an example of why sweating the small stuff might might be important here. Because sometimes an individual small thing might not be an issue, but if you're routinely ignoring small things, then eventually, like you're, it. I'm thinking about this in terms of a relationship. Well, uh, there's there's two two things here. One, the small things can add up. That's 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 kind of my point. A small thing can cause an issue in the future. So uh, the rhyme goes: a stitch in time saves nine. Yep. So if there's a small hole or small tear now, you put one stitch in it now, rather than it catching on something later, tearing open. You got to put nine stitches in it. So yeah, preventative maintenance, like. Yeah, if you and, don't change your oil, like eventually your engine will seize. But also when it comes to the, the the phrase don't sweat it, it means don't make a big deal about it. Don't over catastrophize and certainly don't cry about it. Not the small stuff, um, but mind it. Uh, we have one or two more left here. Uh, uh, keep your friends closer and your enemies. Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Uh, I will tell you one thing. Uh, I don't have very many enemies that I can think of, but I don't want them close to me. Uh, in, in, I think the idea is just like study what your enemies are doing so that you can be aware of what they're trying to do back. I think this is okay probably if you're in active warfare. Like yeah. <laughs> or, or, you know. Uh, yeah, like in geopolitics, it makes sense. Sure. But, you know, also like if you're battling somebody for business or whatever. But if somebody doesn't need to be in your life, they don't need to be in your life. Uh, you don't need to keep them super close to you. Do we have time for one more? Do you want um, to give a weird? Don't give your weird Russian ones. No, 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 no. Like, some of those are just jokes. Like I had to, I put those to entertain myself. Uh, letter T is good. Number T. Number T. Mr. Never T. go to bed angry. I will tell you, I you know I've had some bad news come at me a couple of times over the last seven ten days, and certain things make me fucking livid. But one thing I always try to do is put time between when I hear it 
And when I answer it, and sometimes that might mean sleeping on it. Yeah. All right. And um, that now quick, eight seconds. Hit it. Sixty. Like I, I was in a relationship where like she would get mad at me about something, and she would want to talk about it right then and there. And I would say, hey, let's give this an hour or two. Like, let's have some space that we're not yelling at each other. Sometimes people need space to decompress. We're out of time. Sorry. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Don't forget to subscribe. See you next time. Adios. All right. You made it this far into the podcast. That's the end. If you have not already, please subscribe. And if you made it this far, I can't believe you don't already subscribe. So thank you to those who do. And thank you to those who will. Adios. I like PBR. I just got priced out of it.